Welcome to Eagles, Globes, and Anchors, the strategically-minded podcast of the Marine Corps War College, covering the intersection of strategy, security, and warfare. Welcome to Eagles, Globes, and Anchors, the strategically-minded podcast of the Marine Corps War College. Today, we're discussing the Commandant Strategist Program. My guest today is Major Rob Arant, an information officer by background and the individual responsible for much of the heavy lifting to move the Strategist Program forward. He currently serves on the staff of the Krulak Center for Innovation and Creativity here at Marine Corps University. Major Arant grew up in Monroe, Louisiana and El Paso, Texas. He enlisted in the Marine Corps immediately following high school and worked as an aviation electronics technician. And now I'm about to say what I think is the cheesiest dang sentence that have ever come out of my mouth, but Rob gave me his bio and I'm just telling you what he says about himself. He always kept his eyes on the sky because of his passion for aviation. He was board selected to attend college, which he did so, I assume, honorably, if cheesily, at Texas A&M University. And then afterwards, he followed his passion and became a marine aviator. He's a KC-130 pilot by trade, a graduate of the Naval Postgraduate School, and is currently serving as the Technical Information Operations Officer in the Kulak Center at Marine Corps University. Major Arant, thanks for coming on the show. Good afternoon, and uh, thank you for the amazing read of my bio. Um, <laughs> did you write that? <laughs> I actually did write that using my creativity because of the Krulak Center's uh, motto, Innovation and Creativity. I hope that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. So on that note, before we start our discussion, can you tell us a little bit about your background at MCU? What, in uh, what other ways have you been creative since coming to us? Uh, that's, that's a great question. Um, so I've been here since summer of 2016. After graduating Naval Postgraduate School, they sent me here as a payback tour. And I was supposed to essentially teach or at least present information operations topics to the students at MCU. And everly what it ended up happening is after writing a nearly 100-page thesis, my boss put me on a writing project, essentially said, hey, here's this issue, solve the problem. And so four pages later, I solved the problem and then like, hey, good job. We're going to make you deputy director of the Krulak Center. And from there, uh, shortly thereafter, they made me the uh, program manager for the PhD program. And reason that's significant is at the time, the program was nothing more than a piece of paper that had been approved by the commandant in early 2016. And so given the research capabilities of NPS, I was allowed to apply what I learned there to make something on paper come to fruition. And that's kind of how I got into the PhD program to begin with. That sounds great. You were rewarded for your innovation, your innovative ability. <laughs> yes. <laughs> with more hard work. That seems to be the theme in the Marine Corps. If you do well, we will give you more, well, more to do well. Yes, yes. And, and I don't mind at all. It's been a rather rewarding three years since I've been here. Well, good. The Marine Corps is the last of the services to develop a Ph.D. program. Why is that? Well, there is some backstory to this. So roughly 2010, the House Armed Services Committee had done a study on PME across the services. And in their recommendations, they recommended that we should, the services should sponsor junior officers to go out and get strategic type PhDs. And it so happens that at the time, the current commandant, General Neller, was then the president of Marine Corps University. And so he was participating in these uh, hearings and answering questions about PME. And I know back then he wanted to start the program, but for whatever reason, you know, it did not come to fruition at the time. And then when he became commandant, he said, hey, guess what? I can make this happen. And so in 2016, he tasked the Marine Corps University to kind of do a study on the feasibility of the program. 
And then May of 2016, he approved the pilot program that sh was supposed to run about six years, so 2023 roughly, um, at the, with two selections per year. So in August of 2016, we had the MROC memorandum, which gave the, I guess, the permission to get, let this thing go, assign tasking to all the, the, uh, the right parties, if you will. And then from that, we released the MAR admin in late August 2016. And by November of 2016, we had picked our first two uh, participants for the program. And then that's how we got this thing kind of going um, at that point. So again, backstory, 2010, don't know why it didn't start, but we had somebody here who grew up and became somebody who could get this program off its feet, essentially. So my understanding at the time was it didn't happen back in 2010 because there were no billets in the Marine Corps that required a PhD. And the argument was, if we had billets that required PhDs, then we would build PhDs. But there are no billets that require it, and so we're not going to build them. We won't fund those programs. Has something changed? Or do we have now PhD-coded billets? We don't have those at the moment. Um, and I, I know that's something we're discussing, and I don't know if you want to get into the next question about what I'm drafting currently is the Marine Corps order on the PhD program. And so in this particular order, we want to address where are these Marines going to go when they complete the program? Because currently there are no identified structure or billets or anything for these, these Marines to go to. And so it's certainly something we're addressing currently so that as this thing progresses into the future, we have no kidding places for them to go and they're not sitting in the winds wondering what they'll do with their PhD and, and the research they've done for the Marine Corps and DOD at large. Well, so let's move to this draft order. Without getting into any pre-decisional information, what can you tell us about the program as it's shaping up out of the pilot phase? Who should apply? How long do they have to complete their PhDs? Once they become Dr. Devil Dog, what do we do with them? So it turns out on May 30th, the MARADMIN 322-19 announcement of the FY20 Marine Corps Doctor Philosophy Programs was released. And that details everything Marines need to know about eligibility, ineligibility, and the other requirements for the particular program. Things that we are currently working on in the order that aren't addressed in this MARADMIN is essentially time to complete. So essentially, we, we would like them to complete in three years if feasible, um, but most of the stakeholders have mentioned that a, a flexible time frame of three to six years is reasonable because when you're writing a PhD, you're creating new body of knowledge. You're not regurgitating information that's already out there. So that may take more than three years. It may take four or five years, depending. And so that's kind of the question that's kind of in flux. The other thing that's also in flux in the order, as we mentioned previously, is where are these Marines going to go? And so there are several ideas about how they should be chosen to go to certain places, who makes that particular decision. And so those two, those two issues are at the top of the important pile, if you will, uh, of, of needing a decision that's going to be good for the Marine Corps as well as good for the Marines um, who are completing the program. On the timing issue, I'll, I'll note the draft order will cover both the strategist program, which is what we're talking about specifically here, but also the technical program where Marines go to get PhDs in engineering. Is that correct? What are some of the technical fields? Information science is one of those. Uh, operational research, electrical engineering is one of those. So STEM degrees specifically at, at NPS. And that might take a little longer to complete than a PhD in political science for the strategist program or military history. Correct. And it really, it really is determined by the master's um, degree that the individual has. So if they went to a very rigorous school and they have a very rigorous master's program, 
they may take only three or four years to complete the, the NPS degree. However, if they went to a school and say the master's degree isn't the equivalent to something offered at NPS, they may take more time because there are more classes required to get them up to speed, or at least to NPS-related uh, standards. So they average anywhere from three to six years. The other difference as well is the technical side, you don't necessarily need a master's degree to apply. You at least need a STEM undergraduate degree, and then that also adds time to degree uh, PhD completion. So you could take anywhere up to six years to complete the PhD at NPS. For the technical piece. For the technical, correct. So I'm going to ask the question that any Marine who is listening to this is thinking. Isn't this a career killer? Four years, five, six years out of the fleet, that is a very long time. Correct. It, it can certainly be a career killer if we don't execute and manage the program correctly, which is why at the top of the needing a really good decision is where are we putting these Marines and how are we going to make sure they have the proper career timing to accomplish the mission. You know, that's why we like the three years to complete because it doesn't keep them out of the fleet that long. Um, so that's, that's the first part is getting it done fast enough so that their career timing isn't too off, but it gets to the second point of career timing. It's very crucial that as you hit the wickets along the way, the Marine is doing those things necessary to be competitive per, for promotion. And so we're trying to address that issue by selecting the Marines at the right time, and, uh, right time and right place, and then along the way when they're complete, do they go to the operational fleet to do another tour and then come back and do a payback tour? Those are questions that need answers that we're certainly addressing. Um, but we'll very much so thoroughly investigate the proper, the proper ways to handle that so that Marines don't end up getting kicked out and not getting uh, progression to promotion. I do know that the uh, CG of TCOM would like to see generals made out of PhD Marines. That's like the ultimate goal is that a general's out there in an important place who has completed a PhD program. Well, and just in the conversations we've had for the two Marines who will start the program in the fall, I know there's been particular attention paid to ensuring these Marines get observed fit reps. So it's slightly different from some of the other educational opportunities where they would get an unobserved fit rep. So they would have a colonel, uh, potentially a general, but I think all of the, in, in every situation we've had so far, it's been a colonel who would be the raider uh, for these individual Marines, making sure that they get the mentorship that they need on the uniform side. So even though they're technically out of the fleet for a period of time, they're, they're getting racked and stacked against other comparable Marines um, in the raider's portfolio. Is that, that's been portrayed as being advantageous to the Marine. Is that something, one of those protections to make sure that Marines aren't aren't lost in the sauce in this process? Correct. And I will say as a, as a, uh, as a graduate of NPS, um, I might, both my two years of fitness reports were non-observed academic, which is definitely devastating when you're trying to compare yourself to, to your peers who are doing operational tours. So one of the, one of the guards, if you will, was assigning a, a Colonel mentor Marine to these PhD uh, students. Currently the six that we have four actively going into starting this fall are assigned colonels to mentor them. They're going to write the fitness reports as a, as a reviewing senior, uh, a reporting senior, I should say. And then a reviewing officer at this point is General Bowers as president of MCU. And I think that's kind of a good way to kind of help them stay competitive uh, when they're looking at fitness reports at the board. Uh, so it's a good, a good start to uh, this now as we work on the bigger uh, issues in the order. So correct me if I'm wrong. But as I understand the MAR admin that came out on March, May 30th, you can apply as a senior captain through kind of a junior lieutenant colonel. Is that is that correct? Correct. And the specific wording, um, I don't have specific wording for 
at the time. But it, that is a correct window for that. And the biggest thing is, at least a lieutenant colonel portion, is we want to make sure we maximize the time in the Marine Corps. A lieutenant colonel who doesn't get promoted to colonel has limitations on their service. So we're trying to catch that so that when they complete, we have maximum uh, participation from them. I think it's roughly six years of participation before they're forced out if they don't get promoted to colonel. That's obviously a worst-case scenario. And then the young captain is a senior captain who should have a company command billet complete. So that way that box is checked, essentially, and they can come in here, get their Ph.D. done, and get back to the fleet as a junior major at that point. Would, should they also be EWS complete if they're a captain? They should also be EWS complete. And then if you are a captain, EWS complete, and a major, you also have to complete your ILS program, whether it's command and staff, non-res, or somehow you can mix in a blended seminar, that sort of thing. However, if you're a lieutenant colonel, you will get TLS credit for completing the this, uh, this strategist program. Uh, however, that comes with the caveat that you're not JPME 2 complete. You will have to figure out how to manage that aspect of it. Uh, with regard to the technical side, though, currently technical PhD applicants do not get any PME credit whatsoever, whether it's ILS, uh, career level, or uh, TLS. Um, we're working in, looking into that to figure out that's something we can do, but that's currently not the case for those guys. Okay. So for the folks who are in the program now, we've got the Marines who are currently enrolled and the two who have been accepted to the program to start in the fall. And I'm very proud to say that one of our Marines will go to Stanford and the other will go to SICE. So these aren't, you know, we're not talking about horseshoeing schools. These are legitimate universities with, with pretty good reputations. Where else are the Marines studying and, and what are they researching for their doctorate? So we've got two uh, currently at American University. We've got one at George Mason and the other at Georgetown. Uh, those are the four currently uh, in their academics. Uh, two are going into dissertation phase this summer. Uh, but a couple things they're researching. One of them is you know, the relationship between combat commands, the DOD, and the national military strategy, how they're interrelated, how they're going to work together. Um, and then really he's looking at the principal agent theory, i.e. the theory of delegation. How does how do these all work together and make sure we're accomplishing the mission in that regard? Another one is researching how do we best enable the core to achieve the national defense strategy goals? How do we make sure we're doing what we're supposed to be doing? And another is researching conventional deterrence in the maritime domain, which is interesting because when you think about the maritime domain, conventional deterrence usually isn't the uh, topic du jour, you know, something fancy or, or some other thing. So I think that's a unique twist on a research topic. So essentially all these Marines are looking at things that are going to benefit the Marine Corps over the long term. Uh, they're large strategic issues, and they're also going to benefit the DOD as well. That's really interesting. I look forward to seeing what our two who are starting in the fall are going to end up researching. Yes, correct. It'll it's be always good, a, a good one. stressful but exciting time <laughs> in someone's academic career. So if I'm a Marine and I'm interested in applying, other than what we've discussed so far, what else should I be thinking about? What are some considerations? Well, I would say the biggest consideration is workload. And so the PhD is, is one of the applicants put, when he applied and was accepted, he imagined the PhD was like a, a, a master's degree, kind of on steroids, like a really, yeah, exactly, you know, just you really do a lot of work, but it's kind of like a master's degree, but you don't have extra work. When he shows up and starts looking into and doing research, he realizes it's more like simultaneously trying to c complete 30 master's degrees. You know, so it's a lot of work. And so this isn't something that you come into and expecting to spend little time on it. Maybe we were able to get master's degrees and spend maybe six, ten hours at most on work each week. You know, you know, if you're <laughs> if you're fortunate enough to do that, if you have that type of degree, but a PhD is going to take a lot more more work and a lot more dedication to complete. I would say that's the biggest thing that most people need to be uh, aware of. 
that this isn't a very this is not a simple thing to do, which is why it's very competitive because we want the best um, academically to complete this program. Okay, so. so we need folks coming in who are already strong writers. Correct. It, it, who like to read a lot. <laughs> exactly, and then you know, as 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 a as since I've been doing this for three years, I've reviewed applications, I've put them together to make sure that the, that the reviewers have what they need. And one of the, the weaknesses in many applications is the writing, the statement of purpose of why they're trying to, why they want to do this program. And they will say, if you can write well, uh, write well, continue doing so. And if you don't, start working on that now. Um, that's very important to be, that you can write well, you can get your point across, because um, uh, so you're going to need it, obviously, for your dissertation, plus your academic work as well. Well, and this raises an important point. You can be accepted into the Commandant Strategist program and not be accepted into a PhD program. So these are two separate processes. The Marine Corps says, yes, you're eligible, we'll pay for you if you get in somewhere, but you then have to go apply, have to have your GRE behind you, you have to have a strong writing sample, you have to have a good... Um, economic or economic, a good academic portfolio um, because those schools, Georgetown isn't guaranteed to accept you. Stanford didn't let this guy in without, and it, it's Major Fleischker, didn't let him in without um, his demonstrating that he met the entrance requirements competitively with every other applicant who put in for the next academic year. Correct. And I would say it's one of the unique deals about the Stratus program is that we are competing or these Marines are competing with civilian people as well as other services because Air Force, Army are also providing PhD candidates to these schools. And so if you're not competitive academically, you may not get into a program. So you may be selected as a primary, you apply to schools and you may not get accepted. And so then that's acceptance is definitely not guaranteed in the strategist program. So if people wanted to learn more about the Commandant Strategist program, where can they look? As I mentioned previously, the more admin 322-19 gives you all the information you currently need. It provides email addresses as well as websites to go to to, to read more information um, and also get application uh, templates and that sort of thing. So I just direct everybody to the that more admin. Okay. And our last question, which doesn't have anything to do with the Commandant Strategist Program, what are you reading right now that our students should know about? So I just started reading The Fate of Rome by Kyle Harper. And it's interesting because it's the first book to examine the catastrophic role that climate change and infectious diseases played in the collapse of the Roman Empire. And I think it's important because if you read the news today, climate change is a kind of a big topic. And many strategies look at climate change and the changing landscape of coastlines as something we got to plan for in, in military defense and as well operations. So I think that's a great book to kind of read, to get an idea of what looks like history-wise when you have a great power who fails because of a climate issue as well as diseases, which I think we should have a handle on. Uh, I think we have pretty good medical in, in general. But, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's the, that's the current book I'm reading at this that's time. That's interesting. You know, I read just this morning that the Louisiana coast loses on average one football field's worth of coastline every hour. I mean, that's it's stunning. That is devastating. And it's in, in a quick fact, a fun fact, I, I'm an undergraduate geology major at Texas A&M. And so we were able to go tour different coastlines as part of our uh, degree program. And so we went to Galveston, and there's a picture of Galveston's beach lines. I think it was the 60s or something like that. And there's a beach, and there's houses. And now, now and it, this is uh, late uh, 90s, early 2000s, and that beach that existed is gone. You know, there's nothing there anymore, and so that's definitely uh, something that we have to think about and take into account when we do our, our operational planning. Yeah, and I, I had no idea that climate change and infectious disease was in any way related <laughs> to the fall of the Roman Empire, so that's really interesting. Exactly, right. What's the name of the book again? Uh, the Fate of Rome by Kyle Harper. All right. 
Well, Major Arendt, thank you so much for coming on the show. To keep up with the good work of the Marine Corps War College, follow us on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook at at College. You can follow MCU on social media at at Marine Corps U, and keep up with the great work of the Krulak Center at at the Krulak Center. MCU has been working hard to extend PME opportunities outside of the traditional schoolhouse environments. Eagles, Globes, and Anchors is one example of that. To that end, if you would like to keep up with the best of faculty and student research, curriculum, and developments in PME, get yourself over to iTunes and subscribe to the podcast. Special thanks to our intrepid producer, Lieutenant Colonel Jason Palma, for his decades of faithful service to the nation and his unfailing excellence as Associate Dean at the Marine Corps War College. We will miss him greatly. I'm your host, Becky Johnson. Thank you for listening to Eagles, Globes, and Anchors, the strategically-minded, innovative podcast of the Marine Corps War College. This concludes the EGA podcast. Thank you for joining us. The views expressed in this podcast reflect those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the views, policies, or positions of the United States Marine Corps or the Department of Defense. You can follow the Marine Corps War College on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at at College. And as always, our podcast music is Stuck in Traffic by Romero. Have a great day.